Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. So glad you made it here today. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, tell him how much you love him. You guys look great. Come on. All right, turn to your other neighbor, tell him, go Cowboys. Come on, go Cowboys. Go Cowboys. Anyone love football here? Yeah. Okay. Anybody watching World Cup soccer? All right. I love it. I love it. Come on. Um, well, we love sports here at uh, Capital Church, but we love Jesus more. Um, but I'm excited that you made it here uh, this Sunday. As my beautiful wife mentioned, I'm going to be talking just a little bit about healing. I'm just, I, I think it's important that people understand what my wife and I believe on the subject of healing. I think there's a lot of confusion out there. Uh, before I do that, though, I want to thank all of our guest speakers uh, who spoke for my wife and I in uh, June. We had, uh, if you remember, uh, we had Pastor Jude here about a month ago, and uh, we love Pastor Jude, and he really poured into us as a community, and I know you were blessed by that. Then we had Shane Grove, um, one of our, he is our executive pastor teaching on my teaching team, and he did an exceptional job. And then we had um, Pastor Ken Wild, who spoke, I think, the greatest Father's Day message that I've heard in a long time. And then we had Frank DiMazio, was it two weeks ago? We had Frank, uh, Dr. Frank, and uh, I know, how many were here with Dr. Frank? Okay, many of you, and so you were blessed by Dr. Frank. Yeah? No? Yeah? Okay. Whew. Scaring me, people. Uh, and then uh, last week, we had our very own Mark Francie, and I heard he did an extraordinary job. Uh, how many of you love Mark and Rochelle? Believe in them. And so uh, thank you for embracing these world-class speakers. And we're blessed to have them. Uh, they've, they've really given shape to us as a church. And uh, I'm glad to be back, uh, my wife and I, and uh, we're excited to start kind of a new series today. I'm going to be talking about healing over the next few weeks. I'm going to be talking about the church, and then uh, we're going to be talking about gratefulness. How many think gratefulness is an important thing, right? Okay. We're going to be talking about gratefulness and generosity, and then in like August, we're going to be talking about unicorns. I just want to make sure you're awake. Okay, no, we're not. Um, we're going to be talking about mission, being a mission-shaped church. What does that mean? There's a lot of confusion out there. I believe God has a purpose for you. And then as we get into September, we're going to be talking about the future. And we're really excited about this message series. It's going to be about five years and uh, two months, two months. And we're going to be talking to you about God's future for you, meaning. How many of you know that we have meaning in life? And uh, God has a purpose uh, that he wants to work through you. We'll be talking about that. And then as we go into the fall, we're going to have our generosity series. And then I'm really excited for January, February, and March. We're going to have a message series called Thoughts and Things. We're going to be dealing with mental health issues, depression, sadness, transformation of your mind. Uh, we believe uh, that uh, God wants to, and I'm going to be talking about this today, God wants to heal you. And, as, and I'm going to share this here pretty soon, but God just doesn't just want to heal your soul. Uh, he wants to heal the whole of your life. And so it's important. But today we're going to be talking about um, healing. If you brush your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read about 10 verses. And then we'll get into this. I got 36 minutes. Do you think I can preach in 36 minutes? All the Niner fans said... All my Oakland Raider fans said, all right, I just wanted to see who I'm not going to preach to today. I love you guys, but you can find another church. I'm kidding. I'm, please don't. We love you. We love you. Um, Cowboy fans? Okay. I just felt, I felt the presence of Jesus at that. I know, but it is getting less and less. It's like, I roll, I roll, I roll. Okay. Uh, this is Acts chapter 3, um, beginning in verse 1. Uh, it just as, just as uh, kind of give recall our powers of recollection. Over the last few months, we've talked about resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And we talked about Pentecost uh, a couple months ago. And now in Acts chapter 3, we have the formation of the church. We can't be the church without the Holy Spirit. And so we have new creation at work. 
And uh, Luke tells us in verse 1 of chapter 3, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame, everyone say lame. Man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. Everyone say the beautiful gate. All right, turn to your neighbor who's sleeping and say, wake up, and then say beautiful gate. All right, so beautiful gate. Uh, if you don't know this, some scholars um, think that beautiful gate was made from Corinthian bronze, and so it, it was a reflector. How many of you like mirrors? Like some of us, like I'm not a mirror guy, right? You like, you think, have you ever had those days where you just think you look amazing? And then you glance at a mirror and you're like, oh my God, why did, not, why did someone not tell me my hair looked that way, right? Um, but beautiful gate, it was, uh, uh, it was this bronze and it, it functioned like a mirror. And the irony of this beautiful gate, you have this lame man from birth who every single day he sees his reflection. And the irony, irony of the beautiful gate, and this is kind of a literary thing that Luke is um, suggesting, is uh, the beautiful gate uh, doesn't reflect beauty, it reflects the lame's, lame man's brokenness. And so we have, we have a problem here. Um, we have a beautiful gate that was designed to reflect beauty, God's beauty, but it only reflects this man's um, brokenness. So what's going to happen in this story? Well, we have Peter and John, and uh, Luke continues, come and see this man, and Luke tells us, kind of the end of this clause, to ask alms. This, this man lame is here to ask alms of those entering the temple. Then we get to verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. He asked to receive alms. This is just money, stuff. Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him. Do we have any people watchers here? Okay, you guys are weird, really weird. Like, um, like starers, like you actually stare at people. And it's, it's funny, my wife and I were at a pool a couple days ago. And we just had a, a woman just stare at us the whole time. It was, it was awkward. It's like, what's wrong with you, right? But this is the long stare. You look at the original language, it's like the long stare. So all you people watchers, you're going to love Peter and John, right? They're just staring at this man. They're gazing at him. And finally, I mean, I'm sure it's getting a little bit awkward. It's lame man's like, okay, do you have something you want to give to me? And they said, look at us. And we come to verse 5. Verse 5 says, and he fixed his attention. I love that. He fixed his attention on them. He wasn't um, uh, focusing on Peter and John. He was focusing on his lameness. And they said, look at us. He finally fixes his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And we come to, I think it's verse 6. Is it verse 6? I think so. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it's funny, it seems like the church has money you know, like in the Western world, and yet we've lost the power. I would rather have the power of Jesus over money. Money uh, isn't the most important thing. It's an important thing, um, but uh, the power of Jesus is the most important thing. In verse 7, he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Verse 8, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. We just have two more verses, and then we're going to go to Mark chapter 1, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into the message. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Finally, verse 10, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And the church said... Amen. Quickly, if you brought your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. You don't have to. Mark 1, beginning in verse 40. I'm just reading two verses, two verses. Verse 40, and a leper. Everyone say leper. So these are two healing stories, Acts 3 and Mark 1. And a leper came to Jesus. And this is the prologue, and this is kind of the denouement of Mark's prologue. He's been talking about the kingdom of God, what's characteristic of the kingdom of God. And we have um, a healing story. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring Jesus and kneeling. And he said to him, if you will, if you will, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus, in verse 41, says he was moved with pity. Uh, translators, they're not qu quite sure because manuscripts um, um, are, have permutations. So they're not quite sure how to translate this phrase in, from Greek to English, moved with pity. Some translations will say moved with compassion. Uh, the, the original idea is to be your bowels to be moved with compassion. Or it could be translated to be moved with anger. And I think it's both. Here we have a picture of Jesus moved with compassion. But he's also angry, and we'll explain that here pretty soon. And so Jesus stretched out his hand, and he touched the leper, and he said to him, 
I will be clean. In verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. How many believe that God can still heal today? Ah, just a few of you. Come on. How many of you believe that God can heal? Amen. I want you to bow your heads. Thank you, my wit wit. I thank you for that. Amen. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Father, I thank you for the next. I got 30 minutes, uh, maybe less, that you would help me uh, to make sense of this subject, this very big subject on healing. Lord, we thank you that you are present here today. And Lord, I thank you that today, Lord, set into motion uh, for many of us a new perspective on how to think about healing. Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here um, this morning, and we just open up our hearts to your grace in the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. So we believe in healing. Healing um, and I want to share my testimony here uh, pretty quick. I, I don't think I've ever really done this, um, at least at this service. Before I do that, I, I do just want to make a, just a simple argument about healing. Healing, we find, is given a privilege, privilege place uh, in uh, the Bible, specifically in the New Testament. Uh, it has a place in the list of spiritual gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9, 28, and 30. Is it okay if I get a little, like, teachy? We call this didactic, whatever. Um, almost 40%, everyone say 40%. Almost 40% of the Gospels um, are focused on healing stories. That's, if you're a statistician, right, that's statistically significant, right? Um, we, when we come to the book of Acts, we just read out of Acts chapter 3, 14 um, stories of healing are recorded by Luke uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, essentially, 12 of 28 chapters addresses the subject of healing. Healing is utterly characteristic. You read through the Bible, uh, you read through the New Testament, is utterly characteristic of God's work in our lives. Uh, really quick, I'm not going to get into the, in, into the history of this, but post-apostolic age, as the Bible was closed, maybe let's say kind of the end of the first century, the beginning of the second century, we still see healing at work in the early church. We have Justin Martyr, he wrote of, of people being healed in the name of Jesus. Uh, we have Irenaeus, uh, he was hardcore. How many like hardcore preachers? Okay, uh, he's, I love this. He, he distinguished true and false Christian teachers by their ability to heal. Like, that's, like, you know, pretty hardcore. Um, Augustine, you might call him um, Augustine. I like to call him Augustine. In his early days, he disparaged healing, really didn't believe in healing. But he changed as he got older, and he recorded this. This is in his words. He said, it's only two years ago that keeping of records begun here in Hippo, and already we have nearly 70 attested healing miracles. Our God heals, and it's not just relegated to the Bible, uh, it's relegated to the everyday life of the Christian. Uh, Quadratus, he, he wrote some stuff um, in uh, the early part of the second century, 125 AD, et cetera. Us scholars, we kind of know, I'm kidding. Um, but scholars write um, or, or tell us that Quadratus wrote in 125 AD uh, that he knew people. This is crazy to think about. In 125 AD, he knew people who had been healed by Jesus. In 125 A.D. So healing did not stop with the apostles or the closing of the canon. So uh, healing is an important feature. It's the, forgive me for this, this fancy word, it's the sine qua non of the Christian life. It's fundamental. You take healing away from Christianity, you lose Christianity. Christianity is about healing. Can I get an amen to that? So what is healing all about? Well, healing is about uh, how God wants to heal this world. And we talk about this a lot. Um, the problem with uh, us as Americans is that we've been trained, the problem with our understanding of healing, that is, we've been trained for 200, over 200 years, that this material world is subject to the laws of, in the words of one scholar, physics and chemistry and biology and zoology and botany and astronomy. 
Uh, we call this efficient causes. And there's nothing wrong with zoology. If you're a zoologist, God bless you, right? If you're a biologist, God bless you. Those are wonderful things. But we've been trained that life, our plane of existence, is confined to these mechanistic laws. And there's nothing beyond that. However, the biblical worldview sees creation not simply as the product of mechanistic forces, but as a place, everyone say place, but as a place created by God to be filled with his glory. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 says, and it's a a vision of the future, the prophet writes, as um, the glory of God comes, it will fill the cosmos, it will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so this is important for us to understand because if we don't get this, we're not going to understand healing. In fact, I, I did a, a, a philosophy, I wrote like a, a philosophical treatise against David Hume in my mid-20s. David Hume was a famous Scottish atheist. Uh, he essentially said, and he popularized this thought, uh, and it kind of colluded with um, modern Epicureanism. We'll talk about that later. But he essentially said miracles don't happen because they can't happen. They don't happen because they can't happen because life is simply relegated to laws of physics and chemistry and biology. This is simply the result. Are you you still with me? Simply the result of the triumph, in the words of one scholar, of deism. Deism is this idea, which I talk about a lot, is this idea that there's a radical separation or detachment of heaven and earth. So heaven is like some location way out there. It's, it's a place where disembodied souls go and everyone glows for eternity like Rihanna's diamonds, right? We talk about that a lot. I always get you, always laugh. You're probably sick of that joke. Um, but it's a place of disembodied harps and disembodied souls and disembodied clouds. And that's where God is, but God's really not involved, according to this deistic or Epicurean way of seeing the world, is not really involved in our life, in, in uh, this world. Um, the Bible disagrees. The Bible makes it very clear that matter matters. This world matters. In fact, um, a long time ago, Thomas Jefferson, you know who he is? Pretty famous guy? Okay. How many Americans do we have here? Lord, any Canadians? God bless you, right? Um, Thomas Jefferson, he uh, did this kind of famous experiment. He took his Bible and uh, he excised every reference to the supernatural. So he actually took, um, literally took scissors and cut out every reference to any miracle or anything beyond or anything supernatural. He was a famous Epicurean. He believed in this upstairs, downstairs way of seeing the world. If there's a God, he's way out there and he doesn't care about us. This world is about what we can make of it. So he took his scissors, he cut out every reference to every miracle, every healing story, but he kept all the good teachings of Jesus. Unfortunately, Christianity in many parts has gone along for the ride. They believe that God cares for your soul. They think that Christianity is simply about what life is about after death. They have forgotten life is about what, what happens before we die, right? Um, And Christians have believed that miracles, maybe they happen every now and then. Maybe God intervenes every now and then. God's eventually going to destroy or annihilate the space-time continuum and throw it into a dumpster fire so that one day we can go to a disembodied place. And many Christians believe that, and because they believe that, they believe their bodies and their mental health and what they do for 80 years on this planet is largely irrelevant. I could do whatever I want with my money. I don't know why I did that. But I could do whatever I want with my body. Or I can do whatever I want as as a parent or as a follower of Jesus. Because ultimately Christianity is about life after death in some sort of disembodied, non-temporal place. But that's not what the Bible tells us. This world, this reality, the physical stuff, right? The cosmos that we live in, filled with people and filled with animals and filled with dramatic mountain landscapes and water and stuff and soil and dirt and, of course, redheads. 
It matters. Even Oakland Raider fans matter. Right? The biblical worldview tells us that God actually cares about your body. Your body was not designed to abide by the laws of entropy, right? Just, just wind down. You weren't created just to wind down um, and to eventually die and to be sick and then try to, try to make um, something out of your life in about an 85 or 90 year period. No, your bodies were designed by God to live forever. We have the interest of rebellion and sin. We're not gonna talk about that today. That has tarnished um, what it means to be human, what it means to reflect the goodness of God. But again, many Christians believe that healing is just an occasional thing. Healing is something that just happened in the Bible times. Healing is maybe something that um, some people experience, but largely we shouldn't expect healing. We're, we're basically Jeffersonian in our thinking. Miracles, ah, that happens in Africa. Miracles, ah, that happens in South America. But we're, we're Americans, right? We, uh, we live by uh, a can-do attitude. Uh, we're, we're very Promethean, meaning we're in charge of our, our salvation. We're going to work hard, and we're going to make things happen. And yet the Bible, the Bible disagrees with that assumption. And I used to think this way. And I, I man, if I was a gambling man, which I'm not, but if I was to gamble here today, but many of us growing up in the church have kind of felt this way. Maybe permutations um, regarding what I'm talking about, but you've largely felt that that's kind of what Christianity is all about. Maybe, you know, God kind of is involved, but not really. He's kind of some shadowy figure out there in the cosmos. Christianity is simply about going to heaven, um, and you have felt this. I felt this. And I remember at the age of 17, I don't think I've ever shared this, uh, but I was, any people run track here? Okay, a few of you. Uh, I was a sprinter in high school, and so I was, I was, Monday was hell day, and all the track people said amen to that, right? Monday, you ran your intervals, and so I remember I was running 200s, and I was really fast. I liked, I liked this humble brag, right? Uh, ran a 10-7 in high school. You're like, that's not that fast. Anyways, Willow, be quiet, Willow. Um, but I'm running 200s, and uh, about the fourth 200, I'm not feeling right, and I'm not the guy who gives up. I, I mean, I'm, I can handle pain. Um, but this just, if something felt off, I started getting dizzy. I remember I went to my coach and I go, coach, I'm not feeling well. Can I go home? So I went home. And uh, how many nappers do we have here? Right, you love to nap. Come on. That a nap a day, I'm trying to think of a saying, will do something good to your soul, right? It changes your life. I went home and I took a nap and I, I napped for about four hours. And I woke up and the room was spinning. It was like, it was a weird thing. I, I can't even like describe what I was feeling physically. And I knew there was something wrong. And so uh, my mom and dad, they got home and I'm like, hey, I, I think I have to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor, got some blood work. About three or four days later, uh, I was told that I was a type one diabetic and it changed my world upside down. If you ever had a diagnosis, uh, either with uh, like a terminal sickness or a chronic sickness, it, it puts you face to face with your own mortality. I'm 17 years old. Like, my future is bright. I'm, my whole life, I just wanted to play D1 ball, and all of a sudden, I have this, this crushing diagnosis. I mean, I'm 17. It was summertime, right? I just wanted to get in my Buick, and I wanted to listen to Fresh Prince and Summertime. Like, 17-year-olds, we don't think about mortality, right? We don't think about death. We th we're Americans. We think about, okay, I got another 50, 60, 70 years and I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live life to its fullest. Well, I'm 17 years old and I'm crushed the fact that I'm gonna have to change everything and I'm no longer gonna be able to eat maple bars, okay? <laughs> Not fun. And so I remember in, in a year's period, I struggled with trying to figure out how to, how to, how to live as a type one diabetic. It became a catalyst for questions. I started to ask um, my parents, um, theologians, pastors, that I really begin to pray through, begin to ask God. Um, and then after a short period, I really began to experience several things. I turned 18, and uh, I was suffering from uh, just a, a pretty big case of depression, type 1 diabetes. And I look back on hindsight, um, my depression was pretty connected to being a diabetic and my sugars kind of being high, et cetera. 
But there was also some other things I was struggling with. I was just trying to figure out life. I didn't have a lot of purpose. I had this inexplicable sadness. Um, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 2. He experienced it, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 1. Uh, he said it felt like um, the sentence of death had been pronounced on me. Some of you have experienced depression here today. You know, it's like you can't even like identify where it comes from. It just hits you. It feels like death. It feels like this uncontrollable sadness. Everything feels gray. Everything doesn't feel right. It feels like there's a sickness out there in the world and inside your soul. And that's what I felt like. So I'm a type 1 diabetic. I'm struggling with um, depression. And then I'm, I'm trying to figure out where I want to go play basketball. I nailed it down to three or four schools. And so I'm in this uh, season I'm still in high school. It's the end of my senior year. I'm in honors English class, and all the English majors said, hey, man, two of you. Okay. Um, we're in honors English class, and it's like the end of the year. So they said, you could read whatever book. So I started reading this, this book on healing. And when I began to read it, I, I, I realized that God, this might sound crazy to you, I'm in the middle of my classroom, and I realized that God was stinking alive. I realized in that moment, I didn't have the words, but I was, I, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I grew up in church, but I was um, functionally disenchanted, which simply means I just kind of felt like God just cared about my soul and about heaven, and he didn't really care about my body and the state of my mind and my future and everything else that was related to my life. And in that moment, I realized that God actually does care about me and my heart, me being a redhead, right? Me playing basketball. God's role in this world is not irrelevant. It's not based on indifference. It's based on his active presence in our life. And it changed me. And then I went to a camp and uh, for three hours went up to Faith Heights. And this is why we love Faith Heights. It's, it's a sacred place for us. I went up and I was listening to a guy preach out of the book of Song of Solomon. He's talking about the love of God. I'm in the back row and I have this face-to-face, -face, I can't describe it, but this face-to-face -face encounter with the Holy Spirit changed everything. In that moment, I was healed of depression. In that moment, it was a, a, a miraculous thing that took place in my mind. Now, I still had residue of depression uh, that God took me through. It was a process of totally being free from that, but in that moment, I knew what I was struggling with was gone as I had this face-to-face -face real encounter with Jesus. My relationship with God from that moment on, the age of 18, wasn't just based on some abstract knowledge that God is kind of out there, he's kind of a soupy figure that every now and then intervenes and every now and then thinks about me. No, in that moment, I realized that I was loved by God and it changed my life. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that moment. Crying and weeping my face off. And I'm not a crier, okay? I mean, I cried at Wolverine, but other than that, <laughs> kidding. I'm not a crier, but I cried and cried and cried as I experienced the love of God. So that combination of knowing that God heals today and that God is at work today transformed how I thought. I realize that miracles do happen because God wants them to happen. So what is healing all about? I'm going to get to Acts 3 here pretty soon. I have three points. And just bear with me. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Healing is a sign of new creation at work. You find throughout the Gospels, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, but throughout the Gospels, Jesus is not just rescuing souls from hell to go to a disembodied place we call heaven, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is transforming the DNA and the material stuff of people's bodies. Jesus is healing bodies. He's even, at one point, he takes five loaves and two fish, and he breaks it, and he distributes it to the crowd, and he feeds fifteen to 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. We see that Jesus... He tells Peter and John, uh, pro fishermen. You got any fishermen here? Uh, these guys are pros. They know what they're talking about. They've been fishing all stinking night. They didn't catch anything. Jesus, the carpenter, said, hey, Peter, uh, uh, John, uh, James, Andrew, hey, check this out. I want you to take your net and throw it on the other side. And Peter's like, oh, whatever. And they do it, and they catch 
tons of fish. They're overwhelmed with this catch of fish. Uh, The Gospels are telling us that something through Jesus is happening to creation itself. That this world matters. The physical world matters. That the kingdom of God has come to our planet. Jesus walks on water. Jesus speaks to a Mediterranean storm as if it's an unruly child, right? Throwing a fit, and he says, be still. And it listens, and it obeys. So healing was not just a pretty story. got to hear me. Healing that we find in the Bible, just not with the soul, but with people's bodies and with their minds and their mental state and their, their, their psychological world, was not just a story or a myth or a bizarre event that happened a long time ago. Healing was a story about how new creation had arrived in our world, how heaven and earth are now overlapping, and in and, and healing becomes now utterly characteristic with God's agenda for our lives. So healing is about new creation. Healing, number two, is about whole people, not just souls. Healing is not just, yes, God wants to forgive you of your sin. Uh, Yes, God wants to heal you in your spiritual life. Yes, God wants you to reflect his goodness and his love in this world, but healing is not just about your soul. Healing is about your whole person. God wants to heal every, please hear me. I hope you believe this. But God wants to heal every aspect of your life. Your mind, how you feel, your moods, how you think, how you see things, how you relate to people. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're still suffering from emotional trauma that you experienced 20 years ago. God wants to heal that. Some of you, your lives are being defined by one word spoken over you that came from a place of dysfunction, not a place of function, not a place of promise that does not reflect the voice of God. Some of us gotta hear this, that maybe you're feeling and experiencing depression right now. God wants to heal you. And I'm talking slow because I want you to hear that. I'm not gonna, I don't have a lot of fancy words today. God simply wants to heal you. 70% of Americans struggle either with a sickness or an injury. 70% of Americans. How many of you know we all need healing? Right, this isn't just for uh, a few people that have some major health issues, and it is. But it's for all of us. Christianity is all about healing. In fact, uh, the Greek word for healing is sozo. Everyone say sozo. Sozo is, uh, it's fascinating. It, it simply means to, to rescue, um, and it's used for how God rescues people, but it's also used just as much for when God heals people. In fact, healing and rescue are not mutually exclusive ideas under the umbrella of sozo. God is a healer. Jesus defines his mission as a healer. He is a doctor, and he's come to set us free from sin and sickness and dehumanized habits and depression and hopelessness and anxiety and fear. You don't have to live under a cloud of despair. Come on, we believe that. We believe that God has a plan for you and that plan is shaped by healing. So healing is about whole people, not just souls. And that when, I, when I begin to realize that, it transformed everything. When I was 18, 19 years old, I began to study scripture and I realized that God actually did care for my body and that he did care that I was a type one diabetic. And that he did want to heal me, which leads to my my final point here, uh, number three. Healing is about God's love. It's all about God's love. We go to Mark chapter one, Jesus is angry. Why is he angry? We think of Jesus as kind of mild-tempered, right? We think of Jesus almost like a self-help guru that's not going to say anything negative. Jesus is actually really frustrated in this passage. He's moved with compassion for this uh, leper, 
but he's also angry at the perception that this leper had. He, he says, Jesus, he doesn't say, can you heal me? He says, will you heal me? It's like Jesus gets angry over this man's perception of God. It's like he's, he's questioning in many ways. He's questioning whether Jesus wants to heal him. He knows Jesus can heal him, but he frames his question of healing around Jesus. But do you want to heal me? And I think Jesus gets angry sometimes. Because I think sometimes we play that. And I used to play that game. I used to think, God, I know you can heal me. I know you're probably way out there and uh, you theoretically or in theory can come and heal my body. But it wasn't until I was 19, 20, I had this revelation that God just, he's more than a can-do God. He's a God that wants to heal you. In fact, uh, I'm ripping off words of one author. I can't remember uh, his name, but he said in this passage, it seems like Jesus has a genuine eagerness for the goodness of healing. Jesus isn't some uh, cosmic tease. Your father in heaven isn't just some God that kind of promises healing. uh, And then we try to whip ourselves up in emotional frenzy to believe that God can heal us. And then maybe after 10 years, God does something in our life. No, here we have a revolutionary portrait of the God we serve. He can heal you, but it's more than just God who can heal you. God has a desire and a want to and a genuine eagerness to bring healing in your mind, in your body, in your life. Uh, my wife uh, and I, we went on just a couple days of vacation, went up to the mountains, and uh, our daughter Whitney was swimming. She had a life jacket on. I, was, I can't remember where I was. I was having a fun time. Uh, anyways, I, my wife was on the beach, and she had all the kids. It was just one time, okay? One time, don't judge me. And uh, Whitney was swimming out to this, like, this little uh, trampoline, flota- floating trampoline. And so she gets out there, and she's with, some of her co- she's with her cousin and then with Quincy. She couldn't climb, climb up, and so she started to panic. And uh, she eventually told um, my wife that it was the scariest moment of her life. So my pregnant wife, um, can you give it up to people who get pregnant? That was kind of weird how I said that. Men, can you relate to this? Like with your wife and they get pregnant? It's just weird to me. If I had two little things in me, I would just say, cut them out, cut them out, right? It's strange that my wife is pregnant with two beautiful, healthy, I almost said their gender, but we're gonna wait till next Sunday. Little babies, you're gonna love this gender reveal next week. Anyways, So my beautiful pregnant wife, she does what every mom does. She doesn't think as my daughter is panicking and she needs rescued, uh, she doesn't think, oh, I I can help her. No, instantly, as a mom, it's just a visceral thing. She jumps in to the water and she goes out and she rescues her daughter. I mean, it's just, it just, it's apparent, you know this. When your kids are in danger, you don't even think, oh, I, I can totally take care of them. No, you want take care of them. That's how you need to think about how God thinks about you. If, if we don't think of healing in this way, then I think we'll never understand the heart of God. God wants to heal you. God wants to transform your life upside down. Do you believe that? If you believe that, turn to your neighbor and give him a high five and say, I believe that. God wants God wants to heal us. So, Chris, um, you've talked about how you're a type 1 diabetic. You're still a type 1 diabetic. Um, Why hasn't God healed you? Or maybe some of you are asking the question, okay, if if healing is utterly characteristic of God um, and new creation and taking sovereignty over putting this world to rights, why um, do some people not get healed. Well, I think our place that we have to start from is that God genuinely genuinely wants to heal us. And that healing is fundamentally woven into the fabric of what it means to be a Christian. Can I get an amen to that? That's that's, That's our basic assumption that we work from. 
but some people don't get healed. How, how do you explain that? I think it's important that briefly I answer this. What's well, interesting, Paul, he was a healer. God healed through him. Jesus healed through him, but he also had to leave Trophimus sick at a town in 2 Timothy chapter 4.20. I think it's important that we just read scripture, right? Uh, he could not heal Ephroditus, a, um, a friend of his, and we find this in Philippians 2. Please check me out. Uh, please check out scripture. Check out what I'm saying about scripture, Philippians 2.25. Um, neither could Paul heal Timothy. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, um, hey, take some wine to help you with your stomach problems. So a lot of people were healed in the ministry of Paul, yet some people weren't. How do we explain that? We find Jesus. Jesus was healing everybody. Why couldn't he, why couldn't he have rescued his cuz, John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was beheaded. Couldn't Jesus done something to rescue his, his cousin, except we know that John the Baptist was murdered. So how do we explain this tension? Well, number one, let me just say this really quick. We are here at Capital Church. We are not triumphalists. Number one, what that essentially means, we're not the healer. I don't have he, any healing power in me. We're not name it and claim it people. God is ultimately over the entire project of healing. Can I get an amen? So it's funny, and I've shared the story before, but when I first was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, I had friends who are no longer my friends. I still love them. Anyways, they, uh, they said, Chris, um, the reason why you probably got type 1 diabetes is because, you know, you probably had a lot of sin in your life, and there's probably a causal relationship between your sin and sickness. And I remember, like, my response is, man, I just, to be honest, if that's the case, most of my friends should be really sick. Because if there's a goodness meter, man, I, I think I'm, I, I'm, I don't chew, I don't smoke, I don't go out with girls who do. That was my Boy Scout slogan, right? So I know most of my friends, man, they're doing crazy stuff. They're not sick. And that's kind of a triumphalist uh, position. Well, if you're sick then there must be something wrong with you. Now, certainly, if you're eating Mickey D's every day and you're not taking care of your body and maple bars and eating chocolate shakes, you're gonna get sick and die. Stop that, right? Every now and then, that's okay. But you have to take care of your body. Can I get an amen to that? But generally speaking, we don't believe just because you're sick, there's something wrong with you. We also don't take the opposite position. We don't believe that God um, can't heal today because some people don't get uh, whole, some people don't get healed, that we're just gonna be skeptics for the rest of our life. What do you think of healing as a continuum? We're not over here. If you're not whole, if you're not completely healed, then um, you're in sin. That's a triumphalist position. Nor are we over here. We're not dogged, rationalist skeptics. We maintain the tension. Truth is found in the tension of these two opposites. We believe God's over the entire project of healing. We believe that God is eager to heal our minds, our children, our bodies, everything about our lives, but we're gonna leave it up to God. Can I get an amen to that? In fact, Romans, as I close here, Romans chapter eight, verse 24, uh, Paul writes, we were saved. Everyone say saved. We were saved in hope. We were saved indicates a past action, something that has already taken place. But he also says we were saved, it's a past thing, in hope, which implies there's still a forward salvation that we are looking to. So there's this already not yet tension. I know it's kind of fancy speak. Please forgive me, that's confusing. God has already brought his world to bear in our world. He's putting everything to rights. But new heavens and new earth has not totally been brought together. Can I get an amen to that? So we live in this tension. So Chris, um, if, you're not, if you're not healed, what possibly can God do through that? My response, I'm speaking for, for my own sake. Um, for over, is it over 20 years I've been a type 1 diabetic? I do know that um, God has used, I don't claim it, 
Diabetes doesn't define me. I used to be ashamed of it, right? I do believe God can heal me in any moment. And I believe for it every single day. My whole life is organized around the healing power of Jesus. Um, but I also know I'm not, I'm not denying the reality that I still have to manage my glucose levels, right? The point that I'm trying to make is that God is our healer. And I know that God is at work in me. But God also uses suffering and stuff that we go through to grow us. So are you saying, Chris, that God makes me suffer? No, 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 no. No, God, that's not God. That would be a devil. God will not make us suffer. But in his permissive will, or in the economy of salvation, God does allow certain things to happen. Can I get an amen? And I know personally that God allowed, has allowed certain things, and I know what he's done to me. It's grown my compassion for people who are sick. I just, I feel, if you're sick here today, or if you're depressed, or you're sad, can, can I just say, I know how you feel. And God has given shape to my otherwise cold and callous heart. It's given shape to a greater compassion in me for people. Not only that, but when I was 17 and 18, guys, man, I was the master of, or I was the, what's the word that I'm looking for? I was the master of my castle. No, I was the king of my castle. Uh, I was the master of my whatever, anyway, my own life, the captain of whatever, okay? It's something like that. Let's put it all together, right? I used to think I was running my own life. When I, when I um, became sick, I realized that I had to get close to Jesus. And it's over the last 20 years, I'm not quite sure where I'd be um, without this diagnosis. Again, is this diagnosis from God? No. Is it a diagnosis that defines me? No. I do believe, though, that my relationship with God is so much more robust because I have learned to rely on Him. So, with that being said, i got to close. We come to Acts chapter 3. And here we have God claiming sovereignty over all of creation. Can I just say this really quick? If God is not Lord, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And here we have in Acts 3, Jesus is claiming sovereignty through his disciples. And what do the disciples do? They give the man who was lame by the gate, beautiful, a long stare. How many parents do we have here? Okay. Um, staring is interesting. As, pa parent, as parents, it's, a, it's an incredible gift that God has given us to get the attention of our kids. Can I get an amen to that? Um, Peter and John, why were they staring? Uh, were they looking for faith? I don't know. Were they looking for sincerity? Were they looking for brokenness in this man? I just think they were trying to get this man's attention. It's like as a parent, I, uh, my kids, the greatest kids in the world, but every now and then when they're acting up, I've gotten to the point where I don't need to like raise my voice or do anything to get their attention. I'll just stare at them until Quincy will look at me and will say, what, Dad? He knows that he's been acting up. I, I think what's happening here is Peter and John are giving the long stare to get his attention because this man has been looking at his reflection. He can only see his lameness. He can only see his dysfunction. Peter and John are calling this man out of his obsession with himself. That's the first point of healing. If you want to experience the healing of Jesus in your life, you have to stop obsessing, focusing on yourself and your body and your weakness, you have to look outwards, not inwards. Come on, outwards. You gotta turn your gaze. And you have to look to Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. That's what I want you to do this week. I want you, if you have a need, uh, need for healing, I want you to change your gaze. I want you to look to Jesus, look outward from yourself. The second thing, and this is really simple, um, and I got one more thing after this. 
Jesus, what he looks for is faith. We find Peter and um, the whole disciples group, they looked for faith when it came to healing. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus went to his hometown, hanging with his homies, his cousins, uh, his relatives. They treat him with contempt. And Mark tells us that he could not, not he wouldn't, but he could not do many mighty works. So it seems like Jesus values authentic freedom. Jesus values um, us and our choice to trust him. And Jesus could only heal a few sick people because of the, unbe- the collective unbelief of his hometown, Nazareth. There's something to be said for faith. You don't need to have great faith. You just need to have faith in a great God. Can I get an amen to that? You don't have to have faith in emotion or faith in faith. I just want you to have faith, uh, not in your ability to have faith, but have faith in a great big God. Now, some of you might be saying as I close, Chris, um, I just don't have that kind of faith. Well, find people who have faith and get around them. Like Mark chapter two, I love it. Jesus, um, uh, he's he's in a house and uh, we have four friends. They take their, their buddy who's he's, he's on a stretcher and they go to the top of the house. They cut a hole in the roof and put him down. And Jesus looked to the friends and said, because of your faith, not the man on the stretcher's faith, but because of your faith, this man will be healed. So if you need faith, that's okay. And you don't feel like you have faith to believe, or really you don't have belief for, for healing in your own life. Just find people who do have faith for you and see what God can do. And uh, finally, the, the last thing I, I want you to hear is that we, man, we don't have healing in ourselves. We're not self-help gurus as pastors. We don't believe anyone in this room has the power latent within them to heal. There's only one healer and it's Jesus. And what did Peter say? Peter looked at this man as we close and said, hey, um, guy by beautiful gate, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I love this. And I, I don't have to have a fancy message to get us uh, healed. I don't have to say the right things to get you healed. All we have to say is the name of Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. It's Lord, when we declare the name of Jesus over our lives, can I just, I hope you believe this, things happen. It's weird for us because we don't believe names carry power. But in the ancient Near East, names always were associated with power. You would say a name, and that name inherently carried power. When you say the name of Jesus, watch out. New things happen. New creation springs forth. God takes your life, which is upside down, and turns it right side up. We believe the name of Jesus is greater than any other name. The name of Jesus upstages every other authority that includes type 1 diabetes, that includes cancer, that includes depression, or whatever diagnosis you have. The name of Jesus is greater than any other name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.